Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 today. And this morning we are going to finish the book of Mark. If you'll remember, um, Easter two years ago, well, the two times ago and this last one, I used this passage in Mark, the beginning here, and today we're going to finish up the book of Mark. We started on January 1st, uh, or yeah, it was that, it was the first, was the Sunday that year of 2021, so we've gone a year and seven months to get through the book of Mark, and there's been a few weeks where we've had some guest speakers in and things of that nature, and so it's been a long series. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully you, it's been beneficial to you as well. You might ask, where are we going to be at next week? You'll find out this week. I got two books that I've been praying on. I don't have a direct or clear answer yet which way to go. Say, if you don't have a clear answer next week, what are you going to do? We're just going to double the length of the services and do both books at the same time. So we'll just have service from 8.30 to 11, and then 11.30 till 1 or so, and we'll just make it work, and we'll take care of both. And so I'm just kidding. Don't get any look in your eyes like that. We'll be all right. Not a few people like, is he being serious? No, I'm not being serious. That graduation I was at yesterday, it went, it went pretty long. And they had me, um, they asked me to um, give the message there. And so when I got up, I said, they told me I have an hour. And you should have seen the look on some of the people's faces. And uh, I went about 10 minutes. That was pretty good for me. Because everyone, you know, the pastor says, I won't be long. And everyone gives you that look like, yeah, right. The pastor always says that. And he just says that just so that, you know, we're almost done. And lastly, and then they say, and lastly, like five times before they ever get to the end. And so, anyways, we look at this passage. I want to read the entire chapter this morning. It'll take us just a couple minutes, only 20 verses. Mark chapter 16, verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, Be ye not afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they lay him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. And they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. 
And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And they shall drink any deadly. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The final chapter of Mark. Now, I would, I'm, one of the things I'm going to go through and let you know this morning, I'm going to give you some details and some thoughts on some things, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the resurrection. One of the things, we talk about the resurrection a lot of times on Resurrection Sunday. We'll have extra specials that day. We'll do lots of extra things. And I put in your notes for you today all the details of his resurrection so you have that. That's the whole reason I give out notes. It's not really, and sometimes it's to help you pay attention and you can write something down. Me, notes don't really help me out a lot. I could take notes. I do better just listening. That's just me. But I take the notes and I'll just save them. So you'll have some good notes on the resurrection before you if you save these notes. And so there are many Bible scholars that do not believe that Mark chapter 16 from verse number 9 through verse number 20 should be in the Bible. And the reason I'm telling you this is because if you read commentaries or you read any of those things, they will say that in there. Some of the arguments that are made is the fact that they say the oldest manuscripts we have today on record do not have that passage in there from Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through verse number 20. And if, it, and I'm just gonna, if in fact, that those are the oldest manuscripts we have, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, if those two are two of the oldest ones that we have, they are not in there. But just because they're two of the oldest ones that we have doesn't mean that they are right on those things. And so, a couple other thoughts. The other thing that people say, and that scholars say, and as I told you before, there really are no such thing as scholars when it comes to God's Word. But these people think they are. And one of the things that they say is that verse 9 through 20 is written completely different than the rest of the book of Mark. Now you look at it, and I'm going to be honest with you right now. The way we've read from chapter 1 through chapter 16, verse number 8, 9 does change. There is a different writing style from the end of the book the rest of the way. Now what you got to understand, you say, so someone else wrote it. I'm not saying that. You can even trace back to the first century church fathers that quote from the end of Mark right here. So it goes all the way back. So what it comes down to and what I want you to understand is when it comes to the Word of God, I am a firm believer that God has preserved His Word. Not one jot, not one tittle is going to pass away. God has preserved His Word, which means God has given us everything we need in His Word. It's all there. And this is the thing. I know sometimes people will say, well, we found this new book. I remember it was like 10, 12 years ago. We found the, the book of Jude was found. I don't want the book of Jude anywhere near the Word of God because Jude, Judas was not the guy you would want a book after, Judas Iscariot. There were many false gospels written in those times because everything that the Lord wants to do, the Satan, always, Satan always has a counterfeit for it. And so, but this is the thing. If God could speak the world into existence, which he did, he spoke into existence. I don't think he forgot or let things be added to his word that weren't meant to be there. And, you know, we say, we look at it and we're like, well, men 
men decided what scripture was canon. That is kind of true. They did look at scripture and they put the canon together. That is a true statement there. But do you think that God is not going to give us his word? Don't you think God is powerful enough and big enough to make sure we have what we need? And if Mark 16, 9 through 20 is in my Bible, I believe it's God's word. I don't believe the concordance is God's word or the maps in the back. But I believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible also tells us, and when we look and we think on these things, when they decided the canon of scripture, they looked at several things behind it. Was there inspiration in there? Did it match with the rest of the scripture? There were lots of areas that were critiqued to find it. And something to note that's interesting is most of the modern versions and the old, those texts that say it's not there, they still put these verses in there. And they're in there. Why they put, And they just put that little mark there. So I just wanted you to know that if you read commentaries and things, it's going to be mentioned. I am a firm believer that chapter 16, verse 9 through 20 is part of God's word. Is it possible that someone else wrote them? It's written differently. You can just, the flow of it is different. Could Mark have just matured and wrote the end of it later on in his life? He could have. Who knows exactly? Maybe Peter ended it. Because technically Mark is just Peter's addition of what happened. Maybe Peter finished it. Who knows? But what I do know is, I trust God. I trust his word more than men. And if God's word says it, I trust God's word. Always trust the word of God. And so that's my little plug there. Let's dive into the message today. As we look at the, and Mark, I love Mark just ends abruptly. It just, it just lays it all out. It lets us know these truths. And if we were to go back to chapter number one, we look at the very first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we see by the end of the book, the gospel is finished for us. And that's what the book of Mark is all about. And as we look at this today and as we dive into it, I I want you to see some of the events that took place that first Sunday morning. And then I'm going to talk about dealing with unbelief from verse 9 through verse number 20. The first thing that we see about that resurrection morning, that Sunday morning, several women came to the tomb early in the morning. The Bible tells us Matthew 28, 1, in the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn, towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary to the sepulcher. The Bible tells us in Mark 16, where we just read, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? The Bible tells us in Luke, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And uh, John 20, verse number 1 the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And I know you might look there and say, well, one passage just mentions Mary. One passage mentions several days. Why don't they all mention the same thing? You've got to understand, when it comes to the Gospels, there are four different lights that Jesus is put into. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he is the Son of Man. In the book of John, he is Jesus, the Son of God. So the way that the books are written, 
all these things line up. Just certain details are given in certain books around the theme of who Jesus is. That's why it's done a certain way. And so we see, first of all, that the women came very early in the morning. And why they come very early? Because Jesus had just died. I'm sure they were still a little scared. And isn't, and isn't, think about this, all the disciples, they were still hidden and scared. It's the ladies that went. Sometimes the ladies are a little less fearful than the guys, and we see that here in this case. The next thing that we see is that an angel rolls away the stone from the tomb. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 2 and 3, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. So we see the fact that the ladies came very early. The angel rolled the stone away. Now, did the angel need to roll the stone away for Jesus to come out? No, because later on he appears in the upper room to the twelve, the, the eleven. And he goes right through the wall. He didn't need that. Why was the stone rolled away? For those that came to see that he was gone. Now we see thirdly that the Roman guards panicked and they fled away. You've got to remember they were put there to guard it. And the, the seal was set. And so if a guard didn't do his job, his life was in danger. So look what the Bible says there in Matthew 28 verse number 4. And for fear of him... The keepers did shake and became as dead man. Why? Because they thought they were going to die. Because the body's gone, the stone's gone. What are we going to do? And look at what happened after this. Matthew 28, verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, those that were watching the tomb, and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. So he went, they went to the chief priest. These guards went to the chief priest and told them the stones got rolled back, the body's gone, the linen clothes are still there. And look at what it says. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money. The chief priests gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night, and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure, your, secure you. If the governor wants to put you to death for not doing your job, if you've done what we've said, here's your money, and if you tell everyone that the disciples stole him by night, we'll take care of you. So they took the money and did as they were told, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. See how, see how awful these chief priests were? Lying, deceitful, good for nothing. And that's, just, that's how wicked they were. He's risen and they couldn't even buy into it then. Hey, we're just going to have you tell everyone this is what took place. The guards panic and they flee. Next, the woman arrives at the tomb finding it open and empty. The Bible tells us, and we got all those verses there. You can save those and look there. And then we see the fact that there were two angels appeared to the women inside the tomb. And they tell the women that Jesus is alive and to go tell his disciples. See that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then the women go to tell the disciples, and when they go tell the disciples, they didn't believe it. 
We read it there in verse number 8. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were, there in verse number 8, they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were fearful. And uh, we look at Matthew 28, verse number 8, it says, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 24, verse 9 through 11, And returning unto the sepulcher, and told all things unto the leaven, and to all the rest, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. We also see that next that Peter and John run to the tomb. And we see as we think about these, the Bible tells us in Luke 24, verse number 12, Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. We could see in the book of John, the book of John, I love the tale there when it, of how it happened. John chapter 20, verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Isn't that nice of John to let us know that he was faster than Peter? Peter's a little slow, but I got there first. The other gospels don't tell us that, but the one that the Lord used John to write lets us know that John beat Peter to the tomb. But I don't think, and as we look at that there, it says, um, and looked into the sep, uh, let's see, where are we at? Um, he came first. They ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher, and seeing the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head not lying. And I love this passage because I love how, yes, John beat Peter there, but John will not go in. And Peter just comes, barges his way in, sees everything, and that just, that's Peter. That's how Peter was. And so we see the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We see that, um, and then the Bible tells us the fact that Mary Magdalene, she must have came back to the tomb. She remains there alone and sees an angel. And then she sees Jesus himself there at the tomb. Those are just some notes for you to have with some scripture on the resurrection to keep for yourself. But I want to take the next few minutes and close out this series. And I want to talk to you about dealing with unbelief. We've gone through the entire book of Mark. And we have seen miracle after miracle after miracle we've read about. And we've talked about all the things that Jesus has done. Casting demons out of people. The maniac of Gadara, Mary Magdalene herself. The people he healed the people he fed, the disciples on the, in the storms and their boat and Jesus saving them. All, we've seen all these things. We've read about them. We know what the book is all about. But as we get to the end here, we see the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died, he had warned them several times. His disciples, I believe those, I believe those women knew this. I believe several of them knew. He said, I'm going to rise again. Three days, I will rise again. I'm going to die, but I will rise again. And he tried to, and they didn't get it. 
And one of the reasons they didn't get it, and we've talked about this, is the fact they were so consumed on themselves and who was the greatest and what they were doing. They missed Jesus' words because they were too busy trying to build themselves up. When at the end of the day, Jesus was trying to give them what they needed to get through the darkest days of their life. But they missed it because they were too consumed with everything else. And may it be a good reminder for us, we live in a crazy world today. And there are so many things that are trying to grab our attention today. And sometimes all the things trying to grab our attention, what it does, it gets us to miss what God's really trying to tell us. We could come to church, and we sit in church Sunday after Sunday, or Sunday night, or even Wednesday night, and we sit there and we come, but we're so preoccupied with everything else that we don't have room to get anything from the Lord and His Word. And I want to encourage you and let you know, and remind you today, that when God's Word is preached, I don't care if it's a great preacher or not, if God's Word is given, it will not return void. God's Word has the power to work in your life and my life today. And if it's not working in our lives, it's not the Word of God's fault. It's not the Spirit of God's fault. It's us. He told them what was going to happen. And yet, they didn't believe. We go through seasons in our lives of doubt. I wish I could say that every that me as a Christian, there's never been a day that I've ever doubted. You know the Bible tells us the greatest man born among women, other than Jesus we know, was John the Baptist. Jesus said those words. John the Baptist saw, he was, cause he was there, he knew Jesus, and when Jesus came to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, comes to take away the sins of the world. Towards the end of his life, he's in prison. And in prison, he asks his disciples, hey, go, go to Jesus. Hey, are, are you really the guy? Are you, are you really the one? How could such a great man go from a strong faith to doubt? And Jesus said, yeah, go to I am the one. Look at what you see here. You see what's taking place. You see what's going on. But even the greats doubt at times. We think about this passage of Scripture today, and there were many that doubted. Mary Magdalene doubted. Peter doubted. John doubted. The other nine doubted. Some disciples of his that were on the road to Emmaus doubted. But I love the fact that Jesus just doesn't give up on us. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible comes from the book of Psalms. And it says, He knoweth our frame. He knoweth that we're dust. He knows how we are. And after he rose from the dead, he spent time to encourage and to help bring belief to those who doubted. They were with him. They saw him. They 
heard him. They witnessed many miracles. And they saw him die on the cross. And they thought it was done. Even after the ladies come to the disciples, they didn't believe. And so this morning, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about dealing with unbelief. You see, unbelief leads people into spiritual poverty. Despite all that they saw, despite all the things that had taken place, they, it was just hard for them to believe. And sometimes in our lives, we will go through seasons and stretches where it is hard, where we have doubts. Just this last week, someone came to me. I pastor, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been in church my whole life, but I'm just doubting my salvation right now. Say, oh, that wicked person. No, 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 no. We all from time to time doubt. And Satan wants nothing more than for us to have doubts. He wants us to doubt these things. Because a Christian who is stuck in doubt is not going to be doing any good for the Lord. And we get stuck thinking on these things. And, and then the book of Hebrews lets us know, too, once you've been saved, you cannot taste of those things all over again. Once you're saved, you are always saved. That does not change. You might have some seasons of doubt in your life and seasons where you might step away from God, but he never steps away from you. And he's always there for you. So as we look today, and maybe you say, well, pastor, I, I'm doing good. I have a strong belief in God. I am glad you do. But there's going to come a moment in your life where maybe a hard time comes in, the death of a loved one, or a report from the doctor, or something comes, and you're going to doubt just a little bit. And I want to be like Job where he says, though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. Doubt, seasons of doubt come. But how can we deal with the doubt? What did Jesus do? How did the Lord help Mary? How did he help those disciples, the two on the road to Emmaus, and their hearts started to burn as he spoke the word to them? How did he help them turn from their unbelief and get back where they need to be? How did he take the disciples that didn't believe at all and straighten them up and they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ? How did that happen? What did the Lord do? How can we remove unbelief? Number one, we see unbelief is removed by seeing. By seeing. We look at verse number nine. It says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Verse number 12 after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And then in verse number 14, it says, Afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You see, as we look at these three, we see from Mary Magdalene, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and as we look at the disciples here, they saw him. The disciples did not believe till they saw him. Give you another example. Remember there was another disciple, one of the eleven, Thomas. And forever he's got the name Doubting Thomas. Because he wasn't there the first time that Jesus, and he didn't see it. 
And he said, except I see and I place my hands in these spots, I'm not going to believe. And so what takes place? Jesus comes again. Hey, Thomas. Go ahead and touch. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas said. He saw him and he believed him. And I know you're saying, okay, so I have unbelief. Am I going to see Jesus face to face at this moment? Someday we're going to see him face to face. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've got to understand some things this morning. God's given you the Holy Spirit of God today. And the Bible tells us that His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Unbelief is removed by seeing the Lord. Mary that day, the disciples that day, those on the road to Emmaus, their life was changed and they saw Jesus. And when they saw Him, they believed. You know, Abraham never got to see that. Moses didn't get to see that. Those alive at that time got to see. That's what faith is all about. The Bible tells us when Jesus spoke to Thomas in John 20, verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know what the Bible says for us right there? Did you see Jesus after he rose from the dead? No. Oh, but Paul did too. He saw him. John on the island of Patmos, he saw him. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus. They had no excuse not to believe. But today we have faith. And with the eyes of faith, we look back to the cross and what Jesus did for us. And we look to that day that he rose again. And uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, Faith sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible, and does the impossible. You see, their unbelief was removed when they saw. Christian, let me help you out a little bit today. You say, well, I can't see Jesus. Do you want to know something you can see? His word. The person I dealt with last week about their unbelief, you know what I told them they needed to do? They need to get in this book and look up every verse on salvation. Begin there. And I'm going to have them look up other verses as well. Because you can see it right here. You can see it with your own eyes. Say, but I, I can't see Jesus. You have his book. You have his word. You have what you need today. You have the spirit of God living inside of you, and he is big enough and good enough to help you figure it all out. How is unbelief removed? It's removed through seeing, number one. Number two, it is removed by sharing. You want to not doubt your salvation? You want to remove some unbelief in your life? Look at verse 15. It says, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. I, as we look at this and we think on this thought, 
how, how, can we, how can we get rid of unbelief? Well, those in this world by sharing the gospel with them. But may I also tell those of us that share the gospel, it helps us in our belief. I believe today that one of the greatest tragedies in all of Christianity is the fact that God's people do not fulfill the Great Commission. Is Peter around today? No, if any of you... Well, we have this Peter. And this Peter kind of acts and does some of the things kind of like the Peter in the Bible would and puts his foot in his mouth often. It might just be something with the name Peter. It's got to be that is what it's got to be. And Peter, I love you, but yeah, you, you, fit, you fit a Peter. You just do. Just is. And then we have, we have Johns all over our church. Even a Juan now, Juan and John, this week at Vacation Bible School, you had, um, Louis was running the games, and he had Juan um, Sandoval, and he had John O'Donnell helping him out there. So he told one group of kids, you go to John and you go to Juan. I'm like, but anyways, they didn't, he, they didn't even think anything on that. Same guy right there, so, so John and John. But anyways, is John here today? No. Mark, Matthew, none of them are here. So who's supposed to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ? Us. We are supposed to. You know what the world needs today? Are you ready? The world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. What it needs. The good news of Jesus Christ. This world doesn't need anything else. We don't need climate change packages. We don't need new stimulus. We don't need all these things. We need Jesus Christ. So we say amen in this room. And I think everyone in this room, I'm going to ask you a question to raise your hand. If you agree that the world needs Jesus Christ, just raise your hand up. Raise it up. Raise it up. Easy one. All right, you can put your hands down. Do not raise your hand with what I'm about to say. If you believe that, then when is the last time you told someone about Jesus? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to share it. So, Pastor, it's just, I, uh, I can't. Oh, we've talked about that on Sunday nights. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can. You can. And you've got to remember, you don't have to be great at it. You don't have to be a salesman. You don't have to do any of those things. The Holy Spirit is the one who works on a heart. We just share the gospel. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, verse number 14, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You're like, perfect, it's the pastor's job to do it. The word preacher there means messenger. Literally. As a preacher, I give a message, right? We all as Christians are supposed to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. We say it's what the world needs, but when's the last time you've done it? I'll put it a little bit further, and I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let me break that verse down for you. When you know that you're supposed to be doing something, and God wants you to do it, and you don't do it, it is sin. Two years ago in my life, and I mentioned, I mentioned this before, I started losing weight, and I went on a diet. 
and I got serious about it. I'd gone on diets several times before and just didn't really do anything. I've lost 130, somewhere around there, pounds. But when it comes down to all of it, the day I got serious about it was the day that God convicted me, you got to change. If God didn't convict me, I probably wouldn't have done anything there. But when I know I'm supposed to do good and I don't do it, it would be sin in my life. If you know it's good and that you're supposed to tell other people about Jesus Christ, and yet you are not sharing the gospel, you are sinning. How's this world going to learn? And it gets quiet, but a few minutes ago, didn't I hear a bunch of amens a few minutes ago? Amen! Yes, we need to tell this world's only hope is Jesus Christ! Yep, he is. But you can say amen in church and do all that. But if you're not out sharing your faith with anybody, you're really, it's almost hypocritical. But anyways, I don't want to go any further with that because you're going to get mad at me. But uh, maybe you, you'll get out and tell someone about Jesus. We hear all the time how bad California is, and there's a lot of craziness and bad things in California. I get it. But do you know the gospel is still the only hope? And you can sit around talking all day about how bad things are, or you can go out and do something and make a difference about it. Unbelief is removed by seeing. Unbelief is removed by sharing. I challenge you. You want to you want to you want to not have doubts in your Christian life? Go out and share the gospel and watch the gospel work in the lives of others. I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I wonder this morning how many of you how many of you have ever led someone to the Lord? It is one of the greatest experiences you will ever have in life. And it never gets old seeing someone come to Jesus. It never gets old. It's such a precious wonderful thing to see someone come to Jesus Christ and to be able to have part in it. The Lord does all the work, but we get to share. There's nothing like it. Have you ever had that experience before? And then you see them, you know, we look, I could, I go around this room with several in this room. I remember the day that Joe got saved. Caroline met Maria at the park down the street and they were talking a little bit, and Maria said, so I don't think my husband's saved. She said she was saved. And uh, so they, she said she would come to church. They came to church, and then we had them over for food. And I didn't know if Joe was going to listen or want anything to do with it. We watched some sports or whatever. And then we still lived here, and so I brought him over to my office, shared the gospel with him. He got saved. And to see what God has done in his life, you cannot tell me it's not real what takes place because I've seen it in him. Why am I going to doubt when I see it right there? The day Ryan got saved, man, the day I went to his house, man, I should have taken, that house scared me when I walked in that door. Your wife scared me. She still scares me, but that's beside the point. Lori came to church off and on for at least a year, off and on. She would not fill out a visitor's card. And she would call me randomly with a blocked number every time she called me. <laughs> she did not want me knowing anything. Then one day, this, this hairy mess shows up back here. Hair down past his waist. And, then, and I go back there, and he's like, I'm, I'm uh, Lori's husband. I'm like, Lori, Lori, Lori. 
oh yeah, that one that sneaks in every once in a while. And so he came and he filled out a visitor's card and I had the card. And I go to the house that Saturday, the look on her face was priceless. He filled out a card. I'm like, yeah, you should have done that a long time ago, woman. But anyways, she, uh, she's like, he's not here and I really don't want to talk to you. I, I'm good. He's not saved. You need to come back in like 20 minutes. He'll be here. Slam the door on me. Okay. I come back. But to see where he was and where his life was to where it is today, you can't tell me that there's not a God. You can't. I've seen the evidence of it. He got saved. And we go around a lot in this room. And we think of the different kids that are growing up. And you look at them and the growth in them as they've gotten to know the Lord. Where would they be without the Lord? It's real. You see it as you see Jesus through his word. Unbelief is also removed as we share the gospel. And then thirdly and lastly, unbelief is removed by signs. Now, as we look at this, you don't need signs. But we see some thoughts here, and I want to make sure you understand a couple things. Because there's a verse here that people have a very hard time with. So look at verse number um, 17. It says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if any drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover so, and, we, and we look at verse number 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You see that verse right there? A lot of people like to not touch that verse because of what it says there. Let me give you a few thoughts as we close this thing out about unbelief is removed by science. Now, you've got to understand when this was written. This was written a long time ago when Jesus died. And you've got to understand that now the church is going to take off. There were going to be some signs about the church. They were going to speak in new tongues. Acts chapter number 2 talks about that. We've talked about, and you say, well, I'm not sure what biblical tongues is. Go back and listen to my message on Acts chapter number 2 on Sunday nights. It was a few weeks ago. Go back and listen there. But when we look at it and we think on it, we see the fact that, yes, they spoke in new tongues. Paul reached into a to get some sticks and got bit by a viper and he didn't die they cast out demons they healed the sick it was there were signs that were done to confirm what was taking place and the Jews the Bible tells us required a sign am I right on that statement that's what the Bible says so these were done to help them as they would grow but as we look at it and we think on that verse look at verse 16 one more time it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, what people say is that you must be saved and baptized then to be saved, because that's what it says right there. But if you look at the whole scripture and take the Bible word for word and take it that way, let me ask you a question. If you must be saved and baptized to be saved, how did the thief on the cross get to heaven? By believing not by being baptized say well the bible says right here that salvation is by being believing and being baptized what you got to understand is 
that once you get saved, the first step of obedience and the first sign the world sees. They can't see your heart, can they? When you get saved and you claim to come to Jesus Christ, does, can anyone really see and know that? No, the only thing we can do is an outward expression of that inner faith that we have. And that outward expression of the inner faith is by following the Lord and believers' baptism. That's what it's talking about here. Salvation has been and always will be only through belief in Jesus Christ. I want to give you one verse in case if you're doubting me on that, okay? Go with me to Acts chapter 8 real quick. Acts chapter number 8. This is it, and we're done. Say, Pastor, you're going to say earlier that sometimes you say that's it and we're done. and Yeah, but it's like almost 940. We are done in just a second here. Acts chapter number 8. The Ethiopian eunuch just has gotten saved. The Bible tells us in verse number 36, um, it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Look at the next verse. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Before baptism takes place, salvation takes place. Salvation is our belief in Jesus Christ, and baptism is an outward expression of the inward decision that we made. If you're here this morning and you have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and believer's baptism is after salvation. We just read it right here. Once you are saved, know Christ as your Savior, first step of obedience to the Lord is believer's baptism, an outward expression of an inward decision that is made. In a few weeks, the first uh, Sunday of September, we have our beach trip that we do that Sunday afternoon. We have uh, two or three baptisms lined up to do at the beach. They wanted it. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't even like going in the water at the beach. Now I've got to go in and do some baptisms. So if I drown in there, we'll blame those who want me to do it. And uh, we have our baptistry here. Yeah, if there's any sharks, but hopefully. Yeah, we'll just pray that doesn't happen. We'll be all right. But if you haven't followed the Lord in Believer's Baptism, I'd encourage you to follow him in Believer's Baptism. If you have any questions about that, you can see me. But you got to understand, Jesus rose from the dead, and many had unbelief. They saw him. You can see his word today. They shared. Start sharing the gospel, and you'll see it come to life in your life. And then their unbelief was removed by the signs. They saw those things take place. Father, we thank you for...